0: And uh, we'll just go ahead and go to prayer now, and, uh, and then I'll release the kids right afterwards. So let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you are truly an amazing God, and we just thank you for what you do for us. Um, we do pray right now, Father, for uh, Gunnar and Anna as, and family as they're preparing to travel back, and we, we pray for continued health and the journey um, being uh, one without challenges of transition, um, let them let them feel your care. Thank you for coming back to us next week. Uh, we pray for uh, Ben and Beth Howard in Japan, our missionaries of the week, and we pray for opportunities. They ask for opportunities to reach the unreached in Japan to bring Christ there. Um, and now, Lord, as we transition from the worries of this world, from our outside life, into help us to uh, transition into a right attitude here in church to worship you corporately, in a way that honors you and glorifies you, and that um, changes us and encourages us. And we offer these things uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So kids, you are released to Sunday school or what children's church or whatever we call it now. Give your fist bumps and all those sorts of things. Thank you for those of you who lead the children. Uh, It's an important time. These kids are sponges. They're just absolute sponges. Okay, it says here, so I'm going to read. So we're in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 all the way through 30. And I'll go ahead and read that. And forgive me if I have to put on glasses these days. James, thanks for handling the genealogy last week. I don't have to do that. It's a lot of reading. Okay, attention to the word of God. Now, we left last week when the devil had finished all this tempting. He left Jesus until an opportune time arose. And Jesus returned to Galilee, in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and he read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and to recover the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to them, today, and all spoke well of him, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do hear. In your hometown, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy In the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went his way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that today your word would have its intended effect, open the ears of each one of us in the way that we need to hear, and help us to commit to doing what you call us to do. And we ask this to your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are in the Gospel of Luke, and a purpose for the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is to bring us the message of salvation. The forgiveness of sin. John John says it this way. In John 20, he says, "Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also reformed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in His name." Ha- have you believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and having believed, you have life in His name? Anybody here? Okay. mission accomplished, and that's wonderful. Now, the temptation then is for us to have, those of us who have experienced the gift of freedom from our sins, we we move to the epistles. Now, when I say epistles, what do I mean? Letters, sure. You know any? Galatians, Ephesians, girls eat potato chips, right? Philippians, Colossians, Timothy, yeah, okay, good, good. Um, Now, we move into the epistles because they tell us what to do and what not to do what to think and what not to think, and what we know and what we cannot know. They tell us how to live. God knows that people need to be told, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1. And do not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit, Galatians 5. And we need to hear... Um, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4. And also set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Colossians 2. And we need to cling to what we can know. And we know that God causes all things to work together good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, and there are things that we ourselves should not know. 2 Timothy 2, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Yes, the epistles tell us what it looks like to be a Christian. Now past the gospels and epistles, we have some other books of the Bible uh, but I'm going to skip those out of respect for Donut Sunday. We want to get there. Uh, but, but all of these books have a purpose, and, and still, still, one may conclude that, that once I'm saved, which is the purpose of the Gospels, once I'm saved, why should I still spend time in the Gospels? Why are we doing this? And well, here's, here's really the problem, and maybe it's just my problem. When a person finally rejects the message of religion, and embraces the free gift of eternal life offered us by Jesus Christ, that person is typically primed and ready for real transformation. They they want it. They want something real. They want a truth that changes their lives. But as we devour the epistles in order to bring about the transformation we desire, we ultimately come face to face with our inability to consistently do what the epistles say to do, and to be what the epistles call us to be. And ultimately, the epistles, the Bible, shows us that we and I'm not talking and, and I'm not talking about non-delusion, I'm talking about Christians here it shows us that we are not able to be what we are called to be but all is not lost. At least I'm, I'm in church and I'm not actively involved in the sinful pursuits that I used to do as much. I'm at least a better version of myself, right? It's all good. And still I know at my core that those sinful desires are alive and active. So over time, at best, we begin to participate in a transactional form of Christianity, a transaction. I come to church, I leave church. I say, how are you? And you say, how are you too? And I begin to learn the songs and I learn them so well that I can sing them mindlessly and then look around to see who's here while we're singing those songs. And maybe I can look at my, uh, look like I'm looking at my e-bible on my phone, but I'm really sometimes checking my email because I become a transactional person in church. Transactional Christianity, Rotary with a Bible. And never will you ask me where I failed this week, and never will I tell you where I struggle unless perhaps you ask. I have to stop at the second and say, somebody did sit down with me today and sit down and press me a little more as to where I'm at and how I'm doing over the past year. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I got smacked by my own sermon. I'm always preaching to myself. Now, I have to warn you that as I thought about this passage this week, um, I mostly chewed on what came to my mind, which is the concept of Jesus setting the captives free. That just, that just resonated over and over and over, setting the captives free. In John 8, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, and he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And he says, if the Son sets you free, You are free indeed, and those things really resonate with me. I want that. Yet time and time again, we find ourselves settling for something less than true freedom, transactional Christianity, religion, no longer expectant of transformation, after all. I don't want to be disappointed. And we secretly conclude to ourselves at least that, hey, it it doesn't work, but at least I'm doing better. I'm in church. And while that's what comes to my mind, I'm certain that many of you can relate to this all-too-real truth, and you want something far more for your investment in Christianity. You still want that. It still appeals to you. Thomas Chalmers, he's a dead guy. It's okay. I can quote dead guys. Thomas Chalmers best expresses this concept in his 11-page booklet, you can pull it up online, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The expulsive, expel, expulsive power of a new affection. And their Chalmers clearly and succinctly, better than I'll ever do it, succinctly explains that the only way for the epistles to have their intended effect is for a person to first be in a love relationship with Jesus. The only way to not love the world is to actively love something else or someone else. And that someone else is the living Jesus. That's kind of a key. A Christian conversion that stands on a prayer made 20 years ago is as ineffective as a marriage that stands on marital vows made 20 years ago. When we receive Christ, we are intended to enter into a living and vibrant journey with Christ himself. And only then will the epistles have the powerful effect on your transformation, the effect that you so deeply desire for yourself and for others. And this is exactly why we, a church full of believers, are studying the gospels. The gospels don't simply show us the way to salvation. They show us the way of salvation. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father through me. The way is a living person, not a dead Savior, a living person. Jesus is the way, and the Gospels teach us, Christians, teach us what Jesus is, not so we can know a lot about him, rather so we can embrace the living Jesus and experience his transformed power hourly and daily in our lives. If you want transformation, you must draw near to, you must, you must fall in love with the living Jesus. Not the Jesus who died some 2,000 years ago for your sins to pay the penalty, but a Jesus who got back up and is alive today. And There is no transformation without Jesus. And each of the Gospels shows G- so Jesus in a different light. In John, we have the regal son of God. Yes, he is God. In Mark, he's the suffering servant. In, in Matthew, he's the Jewish Messiah. And in our book, Luke, we see him as fully man. It takes a perfect man to be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of men. And Jesus is the perfect man. And Luke shows us Jesus born as a man. And James pointed out that last last week that Jesus' genealogy takes us back to the man Adam, the one who blew it in the first place. And Jesus had to be baptized like men. And as a man, he had to suffer temptation. Luke emphasizes that Jesus does what he does by the Spirit of God. As men, we need the Spirit of God to experience transformation. And still, Luke does not let us forget that the man Jesus is also very much God. You can't take that away. Now, in our text today, Jesus brings a transformational message to a transactional group of people. So let's see what happens. John 4, 14. Remember, Satan's going to wait a while to tempt him again to a more opportune time, verse 13. Uh, verse 14, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, And news about him spread through all the surrounding districts. And he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Now Luke organizes the book according to the message that he wants to communicate. Really, a year may have passed since Jesus was tempted to this time he enters home. We know if we look at the book of Matthew, it seems to indicate that before he visited home, he um, had shifted his headquarters from Nazareth over to uh, Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. But still, news about him spread to all the surrounding district. One wonders what that news was. These are the people who, some 18 years ago, may have known that the 12-year-old Jesus was the one that was teaching the teachers in the temple. These are the people who most likely were at the wedding of Canaan, where he turned the water into wine. These are the people who knew Jesus as a young man, decided to drift away from the family business and move more towards rabbinical studies or something like that. And at some point, the Spirit of God leads Jesus back to the place where he is raised, verse 16. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up, and he read. And the book or scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, and he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, And recover sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And I love that Luke writes, and he found the place that it's written. You know, some 1700 years after this, somebody put chapters and verses in the Bible so that we could find what we're looking for. They didn't have that then. Jesus reads from what we would call Isaiah chapter 61. And Isaiah was written about 700 years before Christ. It's most concerned with the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah ministered during the period of the divided kingdom, and he lived when the northern kingdom was sent off to into captivity to Assyria. Uh, he died sometime before the southern kingdom, Judah, went into captivity with Babylon. And Isaiah prophesies uh, about God restoring his people to a great nation again under the rule and reign of Messiah. This was their hope book, Isaiah. And we actually, today, we actually have an Isaiah scroll from the time of Jesus. Did you know that? We actually possess an Isaiah scroll. It's 24 feet long. Jesus goes and scrolls through about 20 feet to reach Isaiah 61. Only uh, five chapters left after that. And then he... He reads, and that's when we have two problems. The first problem is that he didn't read the whole passage. Now, somebody brought to my attention that I I missed a word or didn't read a proper word or skipped around or worded the Bible. How dare Jesus skip a sentence out of this? But he does. He reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and he stops. He fails to read, and the day of vengeance of our God. He leaves it out. Can he do that? He broke his words in the middle of a sentence at a comma, and he closed the book, meaning I'm done, and he sat down to teach. And aren't you glad that Jesus is not yet proclaiming the day of God's vengeance? I'll tell you, there will be a day when he proclaims the vengeance of our God, but that day is yet future. It's not today. Now, that's problem one. Problem two is actually in verse 21. He says, he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's a problem. Jesus is declaring that the prophecy applying to the coming Messiah is fulfilled in him on that day. He's the one. And in the same way, Jesus is saying to us today that this too is fulfilled in our presence today. This is not some distant transaction 2,000 years ago. This is about our transformation today, our Messiah today. And what has the Lord anointed Jesus to do for you today? Well, let's look. We jump down to what he's called to do, verse 18, to preach The gospel to the poor. The fact is that whenever the gospel is preached, it is most heartily received by poor people. That's historical. By those who are in need. And Jesus emphasizes this when he says in Matthew 19, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is not bashing rich people, nor is he extolling the virtues of poverty. But the fact is that people don't cling to a Jesus that they don't feel they need. Wealth gives us the ability to mask or numb our sense of need. Some of you here have been graciously plunged into need so that you would see your need for Jesus. And that's actually a blessing. Yeah, that's what I say, (laughs) say it from your shoes. And frequently men who have an abundance of this world's goods are so distracted by them that they have no time nor, nor interest in spiritual things. So let me ask you here, what distracts you from spiritual things? What distracts you from spiritual things? Has your abundance caused you to merely be transactional in your Christian walk? How are you? I am fine. How are you? Good. And perhaps some of us fall short of transformation because our comfort has led us away from our need for transformation. I just don't see it. I'm fine. I have plenty to eat. I'm good. One thing is sure. In order to experience transformation, you have to want it. You have to desperately want it. Now let me, let me speak for a second to your deepest self, the you inside, not your transactional face that you brought here to church, but who you really are. Do you want freedom? How badly do you really want transformation? Be honest. How desperate are you to be transformed into all that God has called you to be? Is your stuff getting in the way of the real thing? One wise man said, Christ is the substitute for everything, but nothing is a substitute for Christ. And he knows how to let us know that, folks. If you don't believe that now, boy, he knows how to let you know that. Now, some of your Bibles leave out this next part. Uh, NIV, NASB, you won't see this, but the King James has it, so I'm going to preach to it. It says, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, I don't have to explain brokenhearted. You know this one. Who has broken your heart? No doctor, no pastor, no counselor can cure a broken heart. This is, in a way, Jesus expresses himself in deity because only God can heal a broken heart. And some of us look to our next relationship in order to heal our broken heart, but no man can do it. The best man you can imagine cannot heal your broken heart. Now, unfortunately, some of us hold on to our broken hearts you see, to let our heart be healed means it can be broken again. I get it. But the will of God for you is the healing of your broken heart. You wrong your own soul if you, bring, if you don't bring your burdens to the feet of Jesus seen it too many times, and eventually a root of bitterness will follow. And bitter people actually hurt themselves more than the person who caused their offense. Bitterness is a fatal poison that will eventually take your life. It will. Only God can heal a broken heart. Will you let him heal your broken heart? If so, you can begin the journey of transformation. He goes on to say, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. And there are many prisoners who live outside the walls of a jail or a penitentiary. I think this speaks of deliverance of men and women uh, from the captivity of sin and freeing those who are bound in the chains of a habit that they cannot break. And here is where the transactional church is most evident. Evangelism itself speaks of getting people to go to heaven. Sounds noble. But that's a short-sighted truth. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And in John 17, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that you may know me, the only true God, Jesus Christ, who thou hast sent, not knowing about thee, but know thee. Jesus is meant to be known today. Eternal life is something to be enjoyed today, not merely some future heavenly experience. And the transactional church emphasizes our heavenly future, but is still bound by the chains of the present. Now, the transformational church takes sin seriously, and takes radical steps to help one another break free from the bondage of sin. And yes, I'm preaching to myself here. Those of you who have participated in AA know the value of verbal confession, of letting a sponsor get into your life, of being honest with yourself and with others about your sin. Well, they got those powerful and effective principles from the Bible. People who attend church on a merely transactional level don't let people get involved in their lives. And then when a the church tries to engage them in transformation, at a transformational level, they tell Pastor Gunner they are moving to another church because, well, I'm not being fed here. Ouch. People who have Jesus in their lives tend to like people who have Jesus in their lives. Now listen, on Sunday morning, we have an adult Sunday school. In Sunday school, we explore the Bible. We point people to the living Jesus. And and people come and people go as they will. But what you may not know is that right next door to the Sunday school class meets a small group of men who want to take it to the next level. They address issues pertaining to real change. They're somewhat transparent with one another. And and they want genuine transformation. And not once has Scott Tolstead ever come up here and advertised his group. And yet, as I walk by, I see the group is growing. And that blesses my socks off. Transformation is taking place here. And I'm not suggesting that we structure a church where you come to the pulpit and, and come to the mic and confess your sins to everybody. That's not the way to do it. But God does work through agency. It's the way he does it. God does his work through people. He uses people to do what he wants to do. And there are little platoons of men and women in this church who meet and share at a deeper level, a more intimate level, a transformational level. But you have to look for them. You have to want it. So let me ask you, does transformation like that scare you? Well, it should. Only when we commit to becoming a transformational church will this community look at us and be drawn to Jesus. The most powerful evangelistic technique out there is a changed life that speaks of Jesus. And still some here, and I understand this, some here might want to hold on to part of their bondage just a little bit there are sins that we like. Understand that Jesus is the one who facilitates the breaking of the chains. I trust that he can turn up the pain dial to bring me and you to the point where we are desperate to be freed from our favorite sin. But a refusal to respond to his gracious motivation has consequences Peter says it this way, For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of this world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command. That we passed on to them. Of them, the proverb is true a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow, once washed, goes back to wallowing in the mud. You see, those little private sins that we secretly store away so that we can, at our leisure, enjoy them now and again will ultimately ruin us. Annie Hawks got this. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now. My Savior, I come to thee. Only Jesus can deliver us from these things. You know, I'm never bothered by a brother that says to me, I've got a sin problem, I need help. But what is very bothersome is one who says, I don't need Jesus. I don't sin. I'm a Christian. I don't sin. Well, if you are blind to your sins, understand that next one, Jesus gives sight to the blind. And I suspect this is meant for those who see not for those who do not, and while Jesus certainly healed physical blindness while he was on earth, spiritual blindness is really a bigger problem. But understand, those who are blind to their sin are blind to their sin. You can't argue them into repentance. You can't leave little hints around the house and little notes hoping it will have some effect. You can't set up an environment where they will have an aha moment. But Jesus can. But Jesus can. The Bible says in John 16, and he, when the Holy Spirit comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's Jesus that gives sight to the blind. Those who are blinded to their own sins. And the transformational Christian prays our loved ones into repentance. That's hard work. If you really love them, it beats you up. You get bruised by a sinner in your own home and those attached to your family. And that said, some of you have been beat up by life and by the devil. And Jesus says, next one, I've come to set free those who are downtrodden or set at liberty them that are bruised, whatever version you have. Let me ask you, are you downtrodden? Are you bruised? Are you beat up? Has life run you over? Jesus gets it. And part of his purpose is your restoration. To build you up, not to beat you up. Who's tired and beat up? Yeah, amen. And I like to tell you it gets better after 60, but it doesn't. Only Jesus, only in Jesus will you find rest and restoration you need. He says, his words, Matthew 11, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my load is light. Do come to him, the living Jesus. You see, jesus mission at present is to, last one, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus wants to bless you, not beat you up. But understand, there's more after that comma. While the present Jesus closed the scroll at favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God is coming too. No rational person wants any part of the day of the vengeance of our God. So let me ask you, which of these aspects of Jesus most appeals to you right now? Which one touches you? What what part of you? Where do you need Jesus? Are you broken? Are you poor? Are you downtrodden? Brokenhearted? In bondage to sin? Jesus is the way into God's favor. All you have to do is ask him to forgive you of your sins and to rescue you from your plight. And the journey continues. Okay. Well, those are good words. Those are good words. At least that's what the hometown thought, kind of. Look at verse 22. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is is this not Joseph's son? Or we might say, they were at a loss as to what to say. I mean, something about Jesus' words really caught the crowd off guard. Gracious words, yes. Healing, sight, rest. But did he say, Fulfilled in me? You can almost hear the wheel spinning in their minds as they're processing what he just said with what he just said. Wait, isn't this Joseph's son? And I entertain that something in, in Jesus' being, his, his delivery, his countenance, exuded a sense of rightness and goodness about the words spoken. They resonated with the crowd. But then the crowd began to process the who, what, Him? And this would be a great time for Jesus to implement some, as cops say, some verbal judo, some some de-escalation techniques. But no, verse 23, and he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician heal yourself, whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Understand what's going on here. As proof of Jesus' deity, John writes this peculiar verse, John 2, he says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. We see this mind-reading attribute of God in Jesus' dealing with Nicodemus in John 3, with the woman at the well in John 4, and we see it here in Luke as well. Now, as a cop, I want you to know, I've learned that people get pretty upset when you tell them what they're about to tell you. Yeah, yeah, I know, the light was yellow. Press hard, three copies. But don't you want to hear my excuse? Jesus knew that these people expected from Nazareth's favorite son. The proverb and expectation is pretty clear. Do for your own before you do for others, Jesus. Jesus. By the very nature that you belong to us, you should serve us, Jesus. As if they they owned him. He owed them something. He was welcome as a miracle worker, but not as a prophet, and certainly not as God. And from Scripture, Jesus shows them that position does not earn favoritism with God. But God blesses anyone who comes in faith. He says to them, Verse 25, but I say to you the truth, there were many widows in Israel in that day, but Elijah went to Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in that day, but only Naaman, the leper, was healed, and he was a Syrian. And you can read the full accounts of those histories on your own, but don't miss the response. Now, my take my take is that we're willing to overlook his declaration that he was the actual Messiah, today the scriptures fulfill in your hearing. They, they could overlook that so long as he was going to take care of his own and serve his family as he had served others. We can put up with that as long as he's doing his stuff for us. So long as they could profit from their profit, Jesus could call himself anything he wanted. But absent that, he's a blasphemer. Verse 28. And all the synagogue was filled with rage. When they heard these things and they rose up and cast him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill in which the city was built in order to throw him off a cliff. And I'm not sure whether that means they're gonna throw him off a cliff, or they're gonna throw him off a cliff and stone him. But something bad's going on there. They were having none of this upstart God business, this Messiah thing. And hence Jesus was correct. A prophet was not welcome in his own home among his own people. And it's almost in a comical way, like, hey, look at the time, verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went away. No problem, just, I mean, it's climactic end, right? He walked through them, goodbye. Okay, so what? Okay, look, you've heard a lot today. You've heard a lot today, I get it. Speaking about sin and transformation is uncomfortable. But today, Jesus is in our midst. So decide now, will you embrace what the Bible teaches or will you reject it? Simple as that. Simple choice. There's no more "well oh, maybe." No, it's simple. Yes or no. That's the way life is, folks. Now, for some today is the day of salvation. What stops you from embracing Jesus as your savior? What stops you from putting your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sin? And when we continually reject Jesus, there will come a day when he is done and will simply pass through your midst. The offer is not always open. And how about brokenhearted? Will you open your heart to his healing touch and experience the transformation offered? And I know this is about the deepest sort of pain. I get it. But if God is not the God of your darkest hole, then none of this is real. And that pain, that that victim status, is actually a form of bondage. Will you surrender the security of your pain to him? And finally, are you a transactional Christian? or a transformational Christian. Pet sins do not make very good pets. Eventually they will bite you. If you're having trouble experiencing a love relationship with Jesus, get in get touch with someone here to help you transform away from that which causes you bondage and into the freedom and security that's found in Jesus you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to be alone in this. You're surrounded by a bunch of sinners, don't worry. We get it. Now, the last time I addressed a similar issue from this pulpit, um, I had three guys approach me that week saying, hey, can we go out to coffee? So I know people are interested in this. this. This resonates here at Grace Point, I know that. But consider an individual or a small group with whom you could connect to begin this journey of genuine transparency and, and genuine change. I mean, I mean, sign up for dinner eights. That's a good start. Or, or maybe just come up here after the service for prayer. Get something off your chest. Get the journey started. It's a great place. The Spirit of God is here. This is a safe place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, a lot of stuff here, a lot of stuff. And I know by experience and by who you are that You have prepared hearts this week, that you have, as you have caused me to live this lesson, you've prepared others to hear it, and you are true. Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, it's really hard to vibrantly fall in love with someone I don't see. Would you help us each to see you more clearly, to know you through the Gospels, the way that you reveal yourself, not a Jesus of our own making? Would you deal with our issues and help us not to be afraid of the consequences? Help us to be willing to release our sin, let it go. Help us to be willing to accept your healing. Make us into the vibrant person that you want us to be. For your glory, by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.